Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, I take you through my miserable outlook on housing and how it is affected by the market. Stick around. It's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Well, before we begin our show today, we're honestly a little bit late in doing this. We want to give a shout out to our good friend and colleague, Matt Trogdon. They welcomed a new baby girl into the world recently, and we miss seeing Matt's bright, smiling face every morning in our daily stand-up meetings, but we are super thrilled for him and his wife and just wanted to give them a a, a quick high five as far as the the podcast goes, because I don't think we had mentioned it, which seems like an important thing for us to have at least brought up. Yeah, I'm very excited for him and them. And while I do miss seeing them each morning, we see Matt's face and sometimes get to hear uh, his wife's voice in the background since we typically work from home. I am happy that he gets to spend meaningful time with his new baby. And I'm excited to hear the stories once he rejoins us. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Super happy to see the Kraftwerk family expanding. So the, the young Kraftwerk team being built right now. We could have Kraftwerk Jr. Kraftwerk Jr. That's it. Did we just get into a child labor thing? I don't know, Dan. That's fine. We're going to move on past it. If it's family, it's cool. I'm pretty sure. As the chief compliance officer, I can tell you this is fine. So let's talk about something that's not exactly fine, (laughs) which is the real estate market. So we talk about real estate a lot on our show. I went back and listened. In November of 2021, we did a show called Rent by PMI. And I could basically flip that show on its head and do the exact opposite show today based on the environment that we're in. I went back and listened to some of the things that we were talking about. And all all of that data was true at the time. I was looking at things like, could I rent a home in my market for what I was paying on my mortgage? At the time, the answer was no. Rental prices were far outpacing the mortgage rates because of how cheap the debt was. That is not our current situation, Dan. I know your wife is in real estate. We, you talk about real estate with me, quite frankly, probably the most because I'm constantly spinning on what I want to do. And for those that don't know my personal situation, I ended up having to sell my home at the end of 2021, probably right after we did that Rent by PMI show. I, th- I think we did that from your living room, if I'm not mistaken. Did we? I, I remember being in person in your... I guess it was your dining room recording that episode. Okay. Well, that's that, that I do not remember. But either way, so shortly after that episode, I sold a home. And at the time, I think I probably would have bought something. But our business was too new. When you are self-employed, you generally cannot get underwritten for a mortgage in the first two years before you've got kind of an earnings track record. It doesn't matter if you've got the money for a down payment. It doesn't matter if your credit score is excellent, which mine's pretty decent. They do not want to issue you a loan in that circumstance because you are too much of a risk for the bank at that point in a new business. So that wasn't really an option for me. Had to go rental 
It's been fine. I am not the incredible fan of renting, right? So like, it it's funny. Like when I was having all these homeowner issues and things going bad and, and all these like appliances breaking and people doing really shoddy work that had lived there before and like just had all sorts of homeowner issues when I was a homeowner and people were like, have you heard of renting? I was like, yeah, I'm familiar. Renting has not exactly been a joy ride for me either. And I think certain landlords probably approach it differently. This has not been the dreamboat situation where nothing goes wrong and all I have to do is send a quick email or a text and anything that does go wrong gets taken care of. Fine. All right. So I'm generally a disgruntled tenant by by all accounts. And just, you know what it is, Dan? I've been most frustrated by kind of how I ended up in this situation. So I don't really think it's the circumstances of like this being a bad property or like a bad landlord. If for some reason they're listening, I don't think they are because I don't think they know what I do for a living, but it's fine. Uh, I'm willing to accept that. I don't think that they're doing a bad job. I think I was just disgruntled by the circumstances that landed me here. But either way, I've been pretty upset about it for close to two years now. (laughs) At At least like what, 17 months, somewhere in that range. I, I don't know why I'm so amused by this, but yeah, no. for some reason, you disgruntled is entertaining to me. In fairness, I, you have a nice place. I've been there. I understand the circumstances is not ideal. You also had a not working oven for like half the time you've been there. Yeah, 11 months. 11 months I went without the oven working. And you you enjoy cooking. Like You take pleasure in cooking things for people. You like exploring new foods and getting hands-on with it. So I can see why that would be annoying. All right. So I I think our listeners maybe appreciate hearing some of the nonsense that's inside our brains and that we, we occasionally make weird choices too. This was one of my weird choices. When I took the lease on this place, in my mind, I was like, well, what if I want to get out of here? What like I feel locked up for some reason. I took an 18 month lease because that was going to get me to the point where I could have applied for a mortgage. And in my head, I was like, Oh, that that sounds like a long time. I want I might want to be more mobile or more flexible than that. And because the oven wasn't working, I believed I could break the lease without penalty because I think that they would have had to to concede that the homeowner had not provided the adequate. I think the Virginia law says that the oven has to be working. And so with a non-working oven, I kept that in my back pocket as like maybe I can leave. Now, again, that's silly because it was like this thing that had been going wrong. And eventually I was like conceding and settling into like, I think I'm just going to end up living here for a while and decided, okay, I'm going to actually put some heat on to get this oven done because I was very frustrated by that too. But yeah, that's really what happened. It wasn't that I'd been complaining for 11 months about an oven. I had complained a couple times about an oven. And then because they hadn't fixed it very promptly, I was like, all right, this is going to be the stick that I carry around in my back pocket to slap them with if I need to. So it was a little bit strategic, but also frustrating and was still part of that. Like, Hey, why are people telling me that renting is such a joy? Yeah. That's funny. I'd forgotten that story. It was like your, your safety oven, even though it wasn't working, it was there serving its purpose for you in the event of a speedy exit. Correct. And I, and to solve the problem a different way, I bought a toaster oven I bought like the one of the fairly large like Cuisinart toaster ovens that has like the air fryer stuff. And so I could still bake things that were not like hypersensitive. I, I wasn't doing any baking like 
cookies or, or something like that where you need the temperature to be specific, but I could still bake other dishes in that giant toaster oven. So I, I had tried to solve the problem a different way and then carry that around so that I could get out of here. All of that being said, in the meantime, the landscape has changed a little bit. And now here I am looking at the real estate market with fresh eyes going, oh my God, what's happened here? Yeah, it, it's basically flipped on its head. We, that real estate episode we did at the end of 2021 probably ticked like the last really attractive time to buy a house. And since then, rates have just went through the roof in addition to home prices. It's not like home prices went down in response to increasing rates. They both went up in lockstep. And it is now a really challenging time to some, find something affordable. And I feel like a lot of people are having that timing the market syndrome where they're like, well, if I wait a couple months, rates might go down, pricing might go down, and maybe it'll be a better time to jump in then. And uh, waiting on the sidelines has been nothing but pain. Yeah, so so just to talk about how few houses are are changing hands, uh, this comes from Redfin. So in the first six months of 2023, 14 homes per thousand changed hands. So what is that, 1.4%? Yes. Where in 2019, that number was 19 homes per thousand. Now going from 14 to 19 doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal. But it's basically 25% fewer homes. 25% fewer homes are being exchanged right now. That has been half the story, which is that inventory is down. Now, I've got several things that I think are leading to this. Um, I think, number one, people that have these low interest rate loans are hanging on to them for dear life. So, Dan, you shared a stat with me before we started recording on what the current effective rate of a mortgage in the market is? The effective rates of homeowners with a mortgage right now in the market have a 3.6% interest rate, which is less than half of what we're seeing out there for new mortgages. So if you had to sell that home and buy something else, it would be very hard to find something comparable unless you were willing to pay a lot more money. Yeah, I am one of those people. Right. Yeah. No, you're, you're going to live in that house forever, Dan. I assure you, you're not leaving. Oh, I'm stuck for many reasons. <laughs> even if your wife tries to push you out of that house. Correct. Which has happened at least three times. Right. We're Every other week, we're moving somewhere fun, in our minds at least. Yeah, so the effective rate out there, 3.6. And just to redo this, and I did it at simple math. I did it at 3%. So when mortgages were 3%, if you were willing to make a $2,500 a month payment, the loan that you could have secured, and I'm ignoring the taxes, the insurance, all, all of that stuff. So this is not your full payment, but just principal and interest. $2,500 a month would have bought you $592,973 of purchasing power. You could have gone out with $2,500 a month and borrowed almost six hundred grand Today, at 7.5% interest rates, that same $2,500, $357,000. Your purchasing power, the how far your $2,500 goes has been decimated. That's a massive drop in what you can afford for the cash flow for, for really the same thing, right? No additional utility. And at the same time, inventories being as low as they are means prices have not dropped yet. 
So, Dan, right. if you're if you're if you're in my situation, what do you do? It's tough because you don't want to feel like you're throwing money away because 2021 Ross and 2021 Daniel aren't that long ago. We remember what it felt like in the housing market back then. And to feel like all of a sudden you have to pay a lot more for a lot less just doesn't seem right. So you want to avoid that pain and hope that things go back to normal as quickly as possible. But I think it's very possible that what we had back then is never going to be happening again. Like that was not normal. That was very extraordinary times. And we need to be driven largely by our goals. So I think if you really need to be a homeowner and you have plans to be in a place for a while and you can afford a little bit of extra payment or a lot of bit of extra payment, I think that should guide your decision-making largely. So if your journey is towards homeownership, you know where you want to be, you have a, a goal in mind, I think it's okay to accept a higher payment, assuming it fits within your cash flow plan with the understanding that that's a long-term asset, just like buying a stock in the market is going to be a long-term investment. You can refinance if rates go down, but you'll at least have the thing that you want. Now, I think if your plans are more in flux, a lot of people really prize home ownership more than they should, quite frankly. And even though your experience being a renter hasn't been a great one and rents aren't cheap either, I think if you don't know exactly where you want to be and what you want to do, it doesn't hurt to defer the decision a little bit longer. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to look at because on one hand... I look at the cash that I have kind of sitting on the sidelines, which is largely intended to ultimately be a down payment. That was kind of its earmarking in my brain is what am I going to do with this? And the answer was, I'm probably going to buy a house at some point. And that's earning a healthy return. Like you're getting four to 5% on cash these days. And if I apply that back on kind of what that's saving me, I could think of that interest offsetting probably a month and a half a year for me of rent is just interest coming in that is offsetting that cost. Now, I don't really use it that way. I think as we like balance some of these things in our head, because I'm not like taking that interest payment out every month and like applying it to my rent, it just kind of sits in there and compounds. And so I still feel like I'm paying the full rent out of cash flow. But I could very easily say, hey, by sitting on the sidelines, I have a benefit going on. It is soaking up some of this cost for me. And that to me is at least a little bit comforting. At, at the same time, when we talked about this a couple of years ago, you couldn't rent for less than a mortgage payment. That's not true anymore either. So you can often find rentals that would be less than if you had bought the place, even with a 20% down payment. And that might increase your ability to, sit, to save and find something better for you in the future. So assuming you're thinking that way, you know, I think perhaps you can reach your goals even quicker or put yourself in a better position in a few years, even if rates stay the same, even if the housing market is still competitive. Um, you know, just going back to the numbers you gave earlier about a $2,500 payment buying a $592,000 house a few years ago. Like imagine renting a $600,000 house for $2,500. Like that wasn't available. But now, you know, that would be a $357,000 property at a $2,500 payment. You know, I, it's just a very different landscape. Yeah. You know, I think the, I think the rentals have become much, much cheaper relative to what you can get in purchasing. If you are committed to purchasing, here's a couple things I would think about. 
Number one, before you do it, we make this recommendation all the time. I think very few people actually do this, but I call it the phantom payment. We talked about this with student loans coming back on. If you're wondering whether or not you can absorb the larger home payment, even if it's going to be temporary, right? Because I think what a lot of people are doing right now is they're buying, the people that are wanting to buy are buying, they're maybe overextending a little bit in the hopes that they're going to be able to refinance back out of this problem. So if you take on the loan at 7.5% and you hope that we're going to get to 65 or 55 and you're just going to keep redoing that loan, I think that's worthwhile, right? I think that could happen. I also think you need to be prepared for we don't know how or when or how much rates are going to drop. So don't take on a payment that is going to put you under financial duress. You can take on a payment that might put you a little bit stretched or might mean that you're not saving what you want to or what you used to be. But certainly not one that that pushes you on cash flow to a point of, I can't make this payment because that's what's going to lead to foreclosure rates really ticking up. And I hope that's not what we see, but that would certainly be a negative situation for homeowners. So make the phantom payment. Figure out what it would be. Look at what you're looking to buy and spend three months making that equivalent payment and just putting the additional money in savings from whatever your house price is or whatever your current rent payment is. Number two, I think it it affects where I land on the should you overpay your mortgage. Because I have generally been in the camp of why would you overpay on a mortgage, especially if the number is cheap, right? If you've got that 3.6% or less debt, I see almost no reason to overpay because you're going to literally earn more than that in your savings with taking no risk, bank account savings. You're going to make more. And even if you make that extra payment, it doesn't reduce your loan amount due next month, right? If you give them an extra thousand bucks this month, next month, your payment is the same. It brings the end date of your mortgage closer. It does not lower what you're going to be obligated to pay next month. So I would rather keep that money for myself, earn the interest on it, keep that flexibility in case I ever needed it. But if you're going to hang on to a 6% plus mortgage, 7% plus mortgage, when we think that stocks return 7 to 10% annually, paying down a mortgage in advance right now means a guaranteed 7% return on every dollar that you're going to use against it. That's a little bit different than when we were talking about this situation, that 3%, right? Because I, I tend to think I'm willing to pay a certain 3% for an uncertain 7 to 10% return. I don't know that I'm willing to pay a certain 7% for an uncertain 7 to 10% return. Totally. Yeah, if you have the cash flow to pay extra payments on your mortgage and you're already filling your other buckets that you should be filling, I think that becomes a much more attractive option than it did years ago. And I think if you're sitting on those low debt mortgages, like Ross said, I wouldn't be in a hurry to pay off a mortgage at 3%. You could literally put it in a bank account, friendly reminder, to make sure you're getting 4 to 5% in your bank account. And then if rates go back down on cash, you can just take that money back out and pay your mortgage then. There's no reason to expedite that process because you're not getting any value for it. Let the money compound at a higher rate. But carrying 7 8% mortgages 
not very exciting, especially if you have the extra cash flow to take care of it sooner. So here's the other thing I think it affects. I think it affects how you view and plan for a down payment. Now, we know, especially in expensive markets, sometimes getting just to 20% is a challenge. But for people that are either selling a home and relocating and they have the option to make that large down payment or not, you know, we addressed that in a recent mailbag episode of people saying, should I make this like massive down payment? I think at the current cost of debt, it's much more interesting to say I'm going to make a bigger down payment today and try and keep that mortgage lower unless you really want to gamble on the rates dropping, right? I mean, again, if there, there's no reason you can't do the lower down payment and wait a year or two and see if you get the opportunity and then and then pay it off in the future. But if you're sitting on a stock portfolio or you know some stock bond combination and you've got the ability to make the larger down payment, you're essentially making a 7% bet. Now, I still don't like having all your equity in a house, right? All the stuff that we've always railed about on this show, where we talk about how your home equity is not generally liquid. It's not a spendable thing. You could have a massive asset on your balance sheet and not be able to go buy milk with it. That's all still true. But I do think that the numbers are being heavily skewed now that we're talking about the numbers that we're talking about. I will mention that there are a lot of lenders. They're aware of the situation and the hesitancy of people to go out and buy home, homes now. Uh, there are a lot of programs that are designed to alleviate the costs early on for borrowers, whether that's a temporary rate reduction or opportunities for free refinances if rates go down. So if you are in the market, I'd be looking for things like that, but still be careful because if they give you a one-year rate reduction, it's going to climb back up to the agreed-upon rate in year two. So like Ross said, make sure you can pay that full amount, whether it be a phantom payment to yourself for that difference for the year that they're giving you a discount. But I think banks are feeling the pain too. If there are less people buying houses, they're seeing less places to allocate money and then returning lower returns for their banks too. So they want to make loans and they're trying to find ways to do it. I think maybe that'll ultimately put downward pressure on rates too, in conjunction with the Fed hopefully slowing their their rate increases alongside that. So you know who's not feeling the pain, I think, nearly as much right now is home builders. So in the recent uh, 13F filings, we learned that Warren Buffett, I think, took positions in two or three different home builders. And in my current situation, that's almost the only thing I'm looking at, which is new builds. And I think I'm thinking about new builds specifically because I am very tired of replacing appliances. In my mind, buying another HVAC system, having another broken oven, like all of that stuff that has been a thorn in my side of just existing in a home, I'd like to move past that. If I was going to buy something, I want as simple of a process as possible. So I've been looking at new construction. Now, the new construction builds, in many cases, they want you to use their lender And the same as when you would go into a car dealership and they're going to give you attractive financing, that's also happening with the home builders right now because they know that your purchasing power is being affected. They have every incentive in the world to move those properties as efficiently as possible. They are willing to take a little bit of a hit on the financing to make sure that they don't have homes sitting on their books which are very expensive on their side, and quite frankly, probably financed with variable rate debt. 
because I'm sure their their lines of credit and their working capital lines are probably moving target interest rates. Speaking personally as a business owner with variable debt, our interest rates have skyrocketed over the past couple of years, where again, we were sitting 6% for, for new business debt, climbing up to now 10.5%, which, I mean, that's a meaningful change in payment. Yeah. So I think that they're willing to make that bet. And and they may even also be betting on interest rates coming down in the future. And they say, yeah, if we offer this interest rate a little bit sub-market, who cares if it's going to come down anyway? Yeah. One thing about new builds that I check on is usually if you're buying a, I don't know, a used home, which is weird to say, but an existing home, uh, transfer and recordation taxes are typically split between the parties. For new builds, you're often bearing the entire thing. So see what that costs. See if that's actually true uh, for the deals you're looking at. Maybe that's an area you can negotiate as well if you're working with someone who who knows what they're doing. So would you just have your realtor make that that adjustment or make that request on looking at where that is in the contract? Where would you even find that in the contract, Dan? I think that's in the offer letter. So, um, and I, I'm not a realtor. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just absorb things by listening. But when you make an offer, that would be somewhere where you would specify that this is how we're going to do it. We're going to split the transfer and recordation fee. I think you could basically write whatever you want in a contract as long as it's agreed to. But for those new homes, they probably have, they start with a stock form or a stock offer letter when they're being presented. I think that's good information. So yeah, I, you know, I think we talk about real estate a lot on this show for good reason. And I hope that some version of what I'm going through is helpful. I am certain that I'm not the only one that is not currently a homeowner and is looking at this market going, yikes, there's a lot going on out here. There's a lot to make sense of. As the landscape shifts, I think we're going to continue to talk about it. But if you're sitting on that low interest mortgage on your home, consider yourself one of the lucky ones and enjoy it because you can't get that again today. I think most of you know that, which is why no none of these homes are changing hands. But uh, it's very much changed the landscape. And, and I think the rent buy proposition has been flipped completely upside down where waiting for your shot on a purchase now makes a lot more sense. Tell us your story. We'd love to hear where you stand with your home ownership or rental journey. Check your balances at outlook.com. I know we have a mailbag episode coming up. So this is your opportunity to hear your question on the show. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Check Your Balances and send us photos so we can make it interesting. We appreciate everybody tuning in. We will catch you all next week. <laughs>